Jesus asked the question, who do people say that I am? And then he made it more personal. Who do you say that I am? This is the fundamental question. And there are a lot of different opinions about who Jesus is, but there's only one right answer. And that's today on Walk in Truth Radio. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. I'm going to build my church right on top of the gates or the rock of false religion. I'm going to demolish it. And in the rabbinic sources, again from Ray Vanderlaan, he says that the rabbis used to say that when the Messiah came, he would destroy the gates of Caesarea Philippi. Hmm. All of a sudden, you begin to see that what Jesus is saying to his disciples is that your mission, boys, is to destroy false belief and let people know who I am. Are you seeing everything clearly? Do you know who I am? I'm the true God. Everything else is false. Do you know, you want to know who has the keys to Hades and death? You're looking at him. Revelation 1, 17 and 18. He has the keys and I want to know the guy who has the keys especially of Hades and death. Do you agree? I want to know who can open the prison cell. I want to know the one who can set me free from the law of sin and death. And that one is named Yeshua, Jesus the Christ, anointed to save. Jesus is not talking about sissy stuff here. He's saying, look, the gates are for defensive purposes, and I want you to take those gates on, boys. I want you to go on the highways and byways and tell people how they can actually be free because the devil's been lying to people. And people go here and they go to this place and they offer these sacrifices and they give this worship to this false god and it just gets them in further bondage and they are behind those prison cells and you are gonna preach a gospel that sets them free. Do you believe that? Do you? Do I? That's what Jesus is saying at this particular location. And of course, you know, Peter is uh, lauded here and he will have the keys. We see that in the book of Acts. He preaches in Jerusalem, Acts 3. 3,000 come to the Lord. He goes to Samaria, Acts chapter 8. And it's not until then that the Samaritan believers receive the Holy Spirit. And then he, in Acts 10, he goes to the house of Cornelius and the Gentiles receive the gospel. Peter did have keys, but the keys were the gospel. Acts 3, Acts 8, Acts 10, he opens the door of the gospel to the Jews, to the Samaritans, and to the Gentiles. This is how it worked. But then Jesus is going to say something that is going to shock them, and let's turn back to Mark's account of it, and we'll, we'll pick it up there. So turn back to Mark chapter 8, Mark chapter 8. I'm so far ahead of my notes, I've got to catch up with myself here. Mark 8. And he warned them, verse 30, to tell no one about him. Now, you always wonder when Jesus does something like this. Why does he do that? Arcant Hughes says, he didn't want to incite a political riot 
staffed with loyal but unregenerate people, close quote. He was always doing things on God's timetable. He revealed it to the apostles, but he wanted them to be careful because there was a timeline he was working on. Messiah's mission, his identity, is everything. But then all of a sudden this turns. This had to be a thrilling moment for Peter and the group, but Jesus, Mark 8.31, began to teach them that the Son of Man, Mark 8.31, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. The word in Greek for killed implies a violent death and after three days rise again. Now I've heard some liberal scholars say, Jesus didn't literally rise from the dead. Let's, let's calm down, folks. Okay. Yeah, Jesus is a good moral teacher and everything. But the resurrection is actually a metaphor. It's a linguistic uh, approach. It's a metaphor for the struggle between the Romans and the Jews. It didn't literally happen. People don't literally rise from the dead. Uh, wait a minute. Jesus just said, they're going to kill me. They're going to do awful things to me. And in three days, I'm going to rise from the dead. And if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then that prophecy, and that's nothing less than a prophecy, is false. And then what does that make Jesus? Can he be the great moral teacher that everybody's lauding him to be in the world that doesn't want to accept him as Messiah if he just told something that's not true? He just said, they're going to kill me, and I'm going to defeat death. And he gave specifics. That is a prophecy. And if that does not come to pass, then Jesus cannot be God and the Messiah. But we do, we do know it did come to pass. And we know that Jesus is who he said he was. He is the son of God. And he's the son of man, the, representation, the representative of God and the representative of man, if you will. The son of man, a messianic title. Daniel 7, 13 and 14 is what you can write down who will receive the kingdom. And so he teaches these things. Many, he'll suffer many things. He'll be rejected. He names the group. The elders, the chief priests, and the scribes uh, are the group that belong to the Sanhedrin, the leading council in Israel. And he was stating the matter plainly. No secret language here. It's on the table. And Peter, the one who had just gotten the great revelation from the Father in heaven, he took him aside and began to rebuke Jesus. That's always a dangerous thing to do, by the way. I'd be very careful. You don't start to rebuke God. <laughs> the word rebuke has the idea of a correction with passion. Kind of like this. Jesus, come here. I'm the guy that gets revelations from heaven. Just, just listen to this. Maybe Peter put his arm around the Lord. No, no, no. See, you don't have this one right, Lord. Have you ever, have you ever prayed that way? Lord, Lord, can I, can I give you some insight on this one? What? No, 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 no. You, you can't die. By the way, the idea of a dying Messiah was repugnant to most of the Jewish minds. And in fact, in Isaiah 53, the great prophecy that says he'll be wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, the, the rabbis would say that the suffering, only the good parts are about the Messiah. The suffering parts are about the people of Israel, not the Messiah. 
They did not believe the Messiah was going to suffer. They believed he was going to reign on the throne of David. In fact, the apostles have been arguing as they're kind of making their way around town who's going to be the greatest because they think he's going right to the throne. So I'm going to position myself really well right now. Talk about wanting to climb the corporate ladder. I don't know how long, how long you think it's going to be till he's on the throne. I think maybe six months. Yeah. What do you think? What kind of chairs do you think we'll sit in? I'm getting fitted from my crown right now. It's gold with little sparklies in it. We're going to rule. We're going to reign. Twelve thrones. We'll be judging the tribes. Isn't this awesome? Oh, it's going to happen, but just not for quite a long time. You see, in order for you to sit on that throne, Peter... Jesus is going to have to die for you. You can't sit on that throne. You can't be in God's kingdom unless he does what he came to do the first time. Everybody with me? See, we kind of missed that one. We want it now. And they were just like us. Oh, I, yeah, the throne sounds wonderful. We've been even doing a couple miracles over here, people looking up to us. He multiplies bread and fish. and This is cool. I, I could do this. I could do this. And then Jesus says, uh, boys, I'm going to Jerusalem. They're going to beat me. They're going to spit in my face. They're going to scourge me. And they're going to kill me. Can you imagine being the apostles? You've left everything. You're just starting to see clearly who he is. You just got a supernatural revelation from heaven. And all of a sudden he says, I'm going to die. What? No, 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 no. That doesn't fit in my plans, Lord. See, I already have, I put an outline together of my career path, spiritually. Oh, well, Jesus was stating the matter plainly. And he turned around, verse 33, and seeing his disciples, and I'm sure, I'm sure the looks on their faces had to be priceless. And he rebuked Peter. And he said, get behind me, Satan. For you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. Do you know that Satan loves to play on the interests of man. Man has his interests. God has his. And Satan doesn't always work in the ways that we think he works. Please hear me well. Sometimes we think, oh, it's going to be some overt. Yeah, that, that dude pan with the, with the horns, he'll show up and then I'll know. No, 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 no. Satan works in more subtle ways oftentimes. Like he'll put stuff before you and say, doesn't that sound good? That even sounds religious, doesn't it? You're like, yeah. And all of a sudden, it's not about God. It's not about God's kingdom. It's about you. See, that's why this is coming up. Oh, sure, I'm sure that Peter was driven and the others by love for the Lord. No, Lord, this can't happen. You can't die. But I wonder, implicit in this verse is whose interests were really in the hearts of those who said it can't happen this way. 
Was this about God and his kingdom? Was this about Jesus and what was best for him? Or was this about them? On and on it goes. And he tries to tell them, I came to serve. Stop arguing. The greatest among you will be servant of all. And Satan dangled the carrot on man's interest. And all of a sudden, the man who was getting supernatural revelation from God, the Father, has been used as a tool for the enemy. And oftentimes, when you are walking the path as a Christian, sometimes this kind of stuff happens. You know, one minute you're hearing from God and it seems crystal clear, and the next minute you're going, boy, I've heard that voice before. And I don't think that's of God. And Jesus rebuked Peter, and I'm sure Peter had to be devastated by what the Lord said. Do you want to be able to defend your faith, what you believe in, why you believe it? We've tackled subjects like Jehovah's Witnesses, the origins of Christmas. In honor of the 500th year of the Reformation, we did a two-part message on sola scriptura. Is the Bible alone sufficient? Is it our highest authority? Scientology, intriguing topics that are available on the Walk in Truth store at walkintruth.com. There'll be more to come, more exciting things to come. And he summoned the multitudes, along with his disciples, uh, back in Mark 8. He summoned the multitudes with his disciples and said to them, 34, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Now, if you're a person standing there at that time, when you hear cross, you do not think of designer jewelry that goes well with your earrings. <laughs> when you hear a cross, all you think of is people who walk in a death march. All you think of is how the Romans put people right on the public road to warn you not to turn on Rome. When you hear cross, the only thing you can think of is a terrible death. And Jesus, all of a sudden, from you know, the heights of spiritual revelation to thinking, man, we're, we're coming into the kingdom probably in just a short while, all of a sudden he's saying, look, you, by the way, not only am I going to a cross, but you're gonna have to take up yours as well. I'm sure that had to be a very difficult <laughs> transaction. To take up a cross was the worst of all possible things to hear. One writer says, Christ leads the procession carrying the cross and we, his followers, follow in his steps. Do you know, this is tough to hear. Do you know right now that some of our brethren in the Middle East have been crucified in the last month or two? Now for many of us sitting here today, we will not experience a literal cross. And sometimes we say, well, my cross is my boss. Heavy, right? My cross is the 91 freeway. I'm with you. Every time I drive over the overpass of that freeway, I thank God I'm not on that freeway. And I pray for you who are on that freeway. But the 91 freeway is not a cross. A cross, if you want to use the metaphor, is all about dying to your own interests. 
It's all about realizing that in modern evangelicalism, we've gotten it down to a point where people will go to a church if they're sufficiently pleased with a checklist that they have. But Jesus says, no. Yeah, you should find a good church. Find a church that does ministry and teaches the word and all of that and, and is true to the gospel. But look, folks, Christianity is not about this right now. This is part of it. Christianity is about a holy huddle where we go out into that world and we face those gates of Hades and we say, you know what, there's a way you can be free. I'm not talking about beating people over the head with the Bible. I'm talking about engaging people and saying, look, there's a hope. There's a God who came for you and for me. But to do that, you're gonna have to deny yourself. You're gonna have to break some of your comfort zones. You're gonna have to take God at his word and pray and say, Lord, I, I don't wanna spend another week without witnessing to somebody. I don't wanna spend another week without having a serious prayer life. I don't wanna spend another week caught up in the rat race and doing just what the world does and then I check in on Sunday. The word deny means completely disown or utterly separate oneself from someone and what you have to separate yourself from is yourself. You're gonna to have to learn that to really live in the Christian life, you must die. But when you die, you really begin to live. It's such a paradox. Sometimes I'm like, Lord, really, really? Set those things aside and I'll use you for my glory. Self-focus is part of the modern evangelical identity. One writer says, this is why increasing numbers of evangelical Christians care little about the glory of God or reaching out to the lost world. For them, Christianity exists to enhance their lives, their marriages, their bank accounts, their prestige, but to bear a cross, to pay a price for standing for Christ, no thanks, close quote. I know it's not easy to hear, folks, but we're just going verse by verse through the Bible I thought about skipping this section. Just kidding, no I didn't. <laughs> this exhortation had great relevance for the Christians in Rome. Mark's gospel probably directed at them for many generations. If you read early church history, do you know how many people were persecuted under the Roman Empire? It was brutal, brutal. And in fact, when you read church history, some of those people started to even wish that they could be a martyr. I don't understand that. But they wanted to die for Christ. They felt like it was their highest honor. And Jesus says, for what does it profit a man to gain how much? 36? The whole world. He doesn't say a city block, your own island. How many of you like to watch those uh, shows where people are looking for property? Go ahead, confess it. It's all right. I, I've seen them too. Yeah. Island. How much is that island? Whew. Yeah. If I could be on that island, all my problems would be gone. Build my house. These curtains, this couch. Yeah. Sounds pretty good, right? He says if you gain the whole world, 
what would it profit you? Not just an island, not just a city block, if you forfeited your own soul. 180 years after the death of Charlemagne, about the year 1000, officials of the Emperor Otho opened the great king's tomb where in addition to incredible treasures, they saw an amazing sight. The skeletal remains of King Charlemagne seated on the throne, his crown still on his skull, a copy of the Gospels lying in his lap with a bony finger resting on the text. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? Um, I was reading a little bit this week and one pastor said, the question is generally, of verse 37 is used as thought, it, it means this, what shall a man take in exchange for his soul? But it's the very opposite. If the soul is lost, what shall a man give to reclaim it? His case will be utterly hopeless. He cannot buy back the life that has been forfeited because of his sin and selfishness. Many writers believe this is an allusion to Psalm 49. Just listen to it. It's verses seven through nine. No man can by any means redeem his brother or give to God a ransom for him. For the redemption of his soul is costly and he should cease trying forever, that he should live on eternally, and that he should not undergo decay. Psalm 49, seven through nine. Nobody else can pay for your soul, and you can't either. There's no exchange rate for your soul. It must be paid for by the blood of Christ. One way, but he has made the way, and that's what's so awesome. How many people do you think are playing Russian roulette with their souls this morning? How many people are right now in eternity, if the Bible is correct, if Luke 16 is truly a look into the afterlife, how many people are in the afterlife wondering what they would need to pay to get out? And the Bible's saying, it's too late. If I asked you, Ray Comfort often says, to give me your eyes for $10 million, would you sell me your eyes for $10 million? Most people say, absolutely not. My eyes are precious to me. I wouldn't sell you my eyes for $100 million. And then he follows it up and says, how much is your soul worth? What would you sell your soul for? For whoever, final verse, is ashamed of me, on my and of me and my words, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words, in this adulterous and sinful generation, this is Jesus, folks, we gotta deal with what he said, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. I was listening to Rabbi Zacharias this morning, and he said, you show me a society without shame, and I will show you a society that is flirting with hell, close quote. Wow. What are we ashamed of today? We, are we ashamed of the gospel? Everybody else is talking about what they believe and they have no hesitation to tell you what they believe, but many Christians will hold back on the gospel. Why? Well, we all have our fears, right? We all have our struggles. We all try to figure out sometimes how to approach someone. We know that there's taboo subjects out there. Uh, can't talk about religion. 
can't talk about politics, right? And so oftentimes we hold back. It's quite telling to analyze what causes shame in our culture and in the church and what does not. Would you be ashamed of a man who pushed you and your children from being crushed by a speeding truck and was killed in your place? Would you not want to talk about that story? Or would you say, oh, it's too personal, I don't want to share it? No, Jesus says, don't be ashamed. He wasn't ashamed of me. I don't want to be ashamed of him. The book of Hebrews in chapter 2 and 11 says he's not ashamed to call us brethren. And I'll tell you what, there are many times when I wonder why he's not ashamed to call me his son. I told the men's breakfast yesterday, I'm still a man. I preach behind a pulpit, but I'm a man. I have my struggles. I have my doubts at times. I struggle just like you do with life and circumstances. And sometimes I wonder why he's not ashamed of me. But you know what? He went to a cross and bore my shame. And even though he despised the shame, he did it for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross for you and me. This is personal. He loved me and he gave himself for me. Hey, if you've been listening to these radio messages and you've opened your heart to Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you may be asking the question, what do I do now? Let me give you four things really quick of what to do after you become a Christian. Number one is read your Bible. You know, the Bible is like spiritual nourishment for your soul. It's spiritual food for the inner man. So think of your Bible as food for the soul. Get into your Bible and get your Bible into you. Open it up and read it for yourself. Number two, find a good, healthy Bible teaching church. You know, it's not enough for a church to say they're Bible believing. Make sure that they're Bible teaching and make sure that they teach in an expository fashion, going through passages and explaining the meaning of the text. Number three is to pray. You know, prayer is really a two-way communication with you and God. Pray with an open Bible. Keep your heart open. The Lord will speak to you primarily through the scriptures, but he can also speak to your heart and show you what to do. And number four is share your faith with others. Tell people about the good news of Jesus Christ that you have embraced personally in your life. Tell them about how you've been born again to a living hope in Christ. That will give them the opportunity to meet Jesus Christ themselves, and it will also keep you accountable to this new life that you have in Christ. If we can be of help in any way, we'd like to know. We'd like to know if you made a decision to follow Christ, and if you're looking for a church to plug into. If you have questions, if you are looking for a healthy church, if we can help you in any way, If you've been listening to Walk in Truth for a while and you're benefiting from this radio broadcast and you believe in it, then we need you to partner with us. You can do that by going to our website at walkintruth.com and check out Walk Together based upon Amos 3.3. How can two walk together unless they be agreed? Well, if you agree with what we're doing, you're benefiting from it, you want others to hear about it, you can partner with us to reach more people through the radio airwaves at walkintruth.com. Help us out. Partner with us today. Walkintruth.com. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message in its entirety, or if you'd like to visit our church here in Corona, California, visit our website 
walkintruth.com.